Welcome to Money for Average Joes, a 12-part series on personal finance. I'm your host, Jason Weaver, an average Joe. Episode 10 is all about investing and is part one of two. Of course, I pull from the best podcasts and online resources for you, and I'll cover today quite a bit, so stay tuned. What I'll cover is investing today and investing more, definitions and examples of like investing, inflation, passive investments, active investments, alternative investments, investments I will not even touch myself, speculations, gambling, other Picking a goal for your retirement is one of the biggest goals people set, so we're going to cover that. We're also going to cover the regrets most people have when it comes to retirement. And what's really cool is a freedom calculator. Now, as a quick refresher, episode nine was all about spending less so you could have more money for what matters to you. And of course, all these episodes are so you can live better and have more money for when it matters most. This section is labeled invest today and invest more. And it should also be labeled and invest for 30 to 40 years if you want to retire, right? So I know I overcomplicate investments. Others do as well. Uh, You can invest or save for goals like going on that Hawaiian trip you always wanted to, just like myself. And uh, you should be able to save up and pay for things out of pocket and not have to go into debt. And sometimes it's appropriate to, you know, like for your retirement to put it in a place not like a high yield savings account. Like maybe that's where you'd put your money you're saving for your Hawaiian trip because it's a short term uh, time frame and you still want your money to grow and not get hurt by inflation too much. Uh, but if you're investing for retirement, which most of us are going to want to have the option to retire, whether we choose to or not, uh, or whether we're forced into retirement, which is happening, uh, whether through health or pushed out of a job. You want to have that option. So we're going to talk most about that. I love the LDS personal finance course book and uh, the group meeting that they throw because my wife and I went through it. It was really revolutionary for us, but they give you a lot of really broad, great education so you can walk away with several great takeaways. And so I just included a screenshot of one of the, the illustrations they have. And so they're just trying to demonstrate a few things that I'll highlight for you. And I'm going to talk about this in a little different way than what the book does or what you might have seen online. So Julia, she's really smart. So she gets a job at 25 years old and she starts investing $300 of her take-home money uh, into an investment. So let's just say the total stock index fund right? So, or the total world stock index fund. She knows in general it goes up. That's going to be her approach. And we're going to assume something that might be a little unrealistic here, but uh, it's at least close. She's going to get an 8% compound interest rate. So 8% every single year, it's going to grow and it's just going to keep growing and it's never going to go up or down on the stock market. So like I said, a little unrealistic, but if you look at it over, you know, more than 30 years, then you're going to see, hey, annualized like every year, if we were to you know average this out, how much was she actually increasing? And at least in this situation, 8%, maybe you should assume something like 6% to go a little bit lower. Then we've got somebody called Andrea and Andrea has to invest $600. So twice as much money. And she starts when she's 35. And then we got Bella who has to do four times as much money as our original 300 and she's going to start 
when she's 45, right? And I may be getting this a little bit wrong. <clears throat> and they're going to run simultaneous, and they're never going to increase or stop paying ever their investment amount, okay? Which is also unreasonable. You know, if you lose your job, you might have to pause for a minute, right? But uh, in general, you want lots and lots of years of adding money in. Well, the cool part for Julia is she started so much in advance from everybody else. She was way above everybody else. She has more years for her money to grow and help. So when she ends with over a million dollars, when she goes to retire at age 65, she only had to put in $147,600 of her own money from the age of 25, right? So that's not a lot of money. And if you look at it about like doubling your money, right? She doubled her money almost six times over, right? And poor Andrea and poor Bella, <laughs> they had to put in a lot of money, right? One and a half times as much as Julia for Andrea. And she only doubles her money three times over, okay? So out of the money that she ends up with, which is like just under $900,000, so still $100,000 short of Julia, she had to put in a lot more money of her own. <clears throat> and then we got Bella, who had to put in a lot of money, right? Most of that money that she ends up with, and she even ends up with less than both of the others, she gets $730,000 to retire on. She had to put most of that money in herself. So she only, you know, uh, doubles her money once over 1.4 times, basically, right? So the long and short of it is you're supposed to walk away from this is invest now, invest a decent amount of money or keep growing that amount of money that you invest and invest for 30 or more years, or you don't really have hope of a good retirement. Okay, that's what you're supposed to walk away from this with. And I completely concur. Let's talk about some definitions and examples. Now, these are my definitions and examples, my paradigms of how I see the world, and I can take the heat, so please share your opinions with me. So, investing expects an annualized return, all right? So, year over year, over a long period of time, you can expect to be up. Now, in between that, especially if you're in the stock market, you can go all over the place, way down, way up, whatever, but if you take any given, you know, 20, 30 year chunk, you expect a good return, right? And you're you're basing that off of historical data. And that's imperfect because essentially you're trying to drive forward while looking in the mirror out the back window of your car. And that's how you're going to try to find your way, right? But at least we have so much examples of like the stock market and bonds and, and others that we have a lot of history there so we can be fairly confident that things have gone up. And as long as the world doesn't lose confidence in those sources of investments, then this will continue to be so, right? But you should never invest anything that you can't afford to lose and nobody is truly guaranteed a retirement of luxury. So you can do nothing and that's guaranteed to be unsuccessful and leave you in the poorhouse when you maybe need the money the most. Or you can do what smart people are doing, uh, a lot of the wealthier are doing. You're finding relatively safe places that reduce the risk of losing all your money that grow money, okay? And there's a lot of places we're going to talk about some of those. <clears throat> now, I love 
the example in the LDS Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint personal finance course, they once again show you that there's risk involved with investing. And in, for the most part, I agree with what they're showing here. And what I did is I actually just randomly drew a line through this, this line of types of investments. So at the very bottom, you've got a savings account, usually makes you no money. Uh, you've got a CD, which in my opinion, makes you almost no money. And then you might have like a high yield savings bond, uh, account, not bond. And that makes you almost no money. And then you've got this imaginary line that I threw in there called inflation. And historically, it's been around 2 to 3% in general, right? But there's been times in history when that's been a lot different. And when you factor in quite a few things, what people consider luxuries now, homes, even food, that can you know, very wildly from year to year. So you might actually have to pay 10% more to own a car or, you know, 5% more to, to buy the same bread or eggs or milk or whatever year to year. Uh, the studies of what inflation is are a bit controversial, right? So I think it goes without saying that you need to grow your money more than inflation, right? And grow it as high as you can, for relatively safe areas, right? So obviously, if somebody's promising you 20% returns, it's most likely not going to be true. And if they're promising you more than the 8 to 12% not adjusted for inflation, uh, that the stock has averaged for years and years and years and years and years, then that's probably not a safe place to go. Now, that being said, when you get above this line, uh, imaginary line of inflation, you get things like government bonds, and I only really look at U.S. Treasury bonds because they adjust for the U.S. inflation. There's some others out there like corporate and others, and this, uh, there's so much to learn there, but not a ton of mo – way more risk, less secure, so you have to proceed with caution, right? And then you have mutual funds. So a lot of people view those as not very risky, but you're riding kind of the overall market a bit depending on which mutual fund you pick. And mutual funds are typically made up of a certain amount of bonds plus stocks. And these stocks are typically like index funds. So they ride the wave. They, they own a little piece of a lot of companies. And their goal is to ride the wave in general of the overall stock market, right? So for me, if you pick an individual stock and you try to go after that, that is akin to basically gambling. That's saying... I'm just going to guess that this is going to outperform the market in general and it could wildly underperform and I could have been way more hurt than if I had, you know, rode the market or it could wildly overperform. Like if you gotten in the early days of Amazon, right? Everybody talks about that. Very few people did. But if you had, obviously your returns would be way, way higher, but it's basically gambling and uh, I don't condone it, right? I just say it's not worth it. Ride the overall market if you're going to be in the stock market. Uh, don't buy individual stocks. Now, there's probably some exceptions to that rule. People that are smart, like David Stein from the podcast Money for the Rest of Us, he's really knowledgeable and he gives some reasons why you may want to pick some stocks, but he, for the most part, is in agreement with myself and has helped shape my understanding and help tremendously. So, 
You've got uh, some other stuff that they mentioned here, large company stocks, small company stocks, real estate, and business ownership. So basically on the highest end of risk, but potentially higher return is real estate and business ownership in this example. Now there's tons of other stuff. And I agree, like if you die or get sick and your business is run off of your back and you don't have employees that are empowered to run it in your absence, then that is one of the most riskiest places you can go. But you should expect potentially some really good returns if you do business well. And even in side hustles, maybe you can grow year to year. And so that's why I've covered those things in the past from side hustles. Uh, there's also investing in yourself that's not listed on here. Going to college, we've talked about higher education to get a better um, you know, return on your paycheck, if that's the way you want to look at it, right? And then uh, we've covered inflation pretty good here, I think. Uh, it's imaginary, but it's it's good to have some inflation. Having negative inflation, having way too high inflation, those have happened in, in periods of major unrest in countries. And so that's why you can't bank everything on like that we're going to retire and that we're going to do well all the time. you got to have some emergency food. You want to be out of consumer debt. You want to get out of your other debts as fast as possible. Uh, some emergency food and water, some essentials stocked up. We're going through the COVID-19 right now as I first record this the first time. And people should have stocked up a little bit on toilet paper before it became an issue. You know, some of those essentials you might just want to have in your home. Uh, so whether you lose your job for three or four months, which is probably more common than a, a world changing uh, disease attacking you or the world or a major earthquake or major economic upheaval. But those things have happened in history and history does repeat themselves. So this can't be your sole and only way to prepare for the future, right? Um, another thing that I didn't have written down, but in general, be good to other people, have friends, uh, have family that you can fall back on to, uh, be a good upstanding member of your church, uh, members of good organizations, pay your taxes, find ways to pay less taxes, but still pay your taxes. Uh, there's some great stuff there, right? So uh, in general, we've already talked about the things that struggle to keep up with inflation, CDs, savings accounts, even high yield savings accounts, checking accounts, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. Bonds, for the most part, can can barely keep up. Uh, I'm not a huge proponent of this, this idea of having a lot of bonds, uh, but maybe that's because I'm young and I have 30 plus years before my retirement, so I can be a little more risky. So that's why in general, I have chosen to put 50% or more of my investments in to allocated passive investments, the ones that grow whether I get sick or not. And I choose to go after index or whole market funds. And for the most part, world funds. Uh, I do have some REITs, which is real estate, but it's, it's uh, traded through the stock market. So when the stock market takes a hit, so does those REITs which doesn't make a lot of sense because it is real estate, right? But because it's traded through the stock market, it does take a hit. And uh, I'll talk about this more in part two as well. But essentially, stocks are part ownership of a business. And in my mind, part unrealistic you know, reality of what people believe. Why, why does one business make a certain amount of money, but people value that business way more than others? Like, let's just use Apple as an example. And, you know, some numbers get out of whack. But people keep buying and keep buying and keep buying 
and the stock keeps going up and up and up and up, right? Well, that is perception or people's perceived reality, right? Plus ownership of the business. And that can have some wild swings at times, right? And so you got to be a little careful there. But if you go with whole world and or whole stock index funds or combined both of those, you know, even some people love the S&P 500 indexes, but you do have to watch out. Like some of these indexes are heavily overweighted in like the technology industry. So though they're a whole stock index and they ride the whole stock market, they take a bigger hit if the the technology industry gets hit. They also get an outsized return if the Amazons of the world and the you know Microsofts and the Apples increase, right? But uh, you know it is more risky to have an overweight in any one industry if you're trying to have the goal like I am of just riding the market. Now, I have lots of years, so I'm going to allocate another fifty percent of my kind of time, talents, and money towards growing side hustles or businesses or going to college or getting a master's degree, those sorts of things to invest in myself and to to be able to have a better future because I have 30 years to recover if a business I create fails, right? Some people don't have that, right? And uh, maybe I'm overly confident with most of my businesses being run off of a computer or technology, even if I do get injured or something happens to me, I, I hope that for the most part, I'd be able to to run things. Uh, and, and maybe I'm overly optimistic, but that's my allocation for now. Obviously, as I get closer and closer to retirement, depending on how much money I'm actually taking away from these investments or from the businesses I have, I might scale back and, and go more for the secure stuff like the U.S., uh, you know, treasury bonds that just keep up with inflation because I don't need to grow my money anymore, but I want it to be in a more secure place because the older you get, the less risk you're going to be able to bounce back from. Now, I've mentioned David Stein and how I look up to him, and he has a podcast called Money for the Rest of Us. And episode 119 is all about investing won't make you rich. And when I listened to that, Obviously, it caught my eye, <laughs> but it it kind of opened my mind, okay? Yes, so there are some people that pick the right stocks and become super wealthy from the stock market, right? But in that episode, he covers that in general, there's some studies that have found the wealthiest people on earth grow their average wealth by 5% a year, okay? And they have an... Uh, a large amount of their investment not in the stock market. Where are they putting it? They're calling it alternative investments. And so I had to look around to find what are all these alternative investments. And we've talked about a few and you know them already, but they're just classified as alternative investments. And some of them, you do have to have quite a bit of money or you have to understand that world to get into it, right? So you got business ownership. Most people understand that. Real estate, but there's also private group-owned, managed development, land. There's multiple ways to do real estate. You don't just have to have renters, right? And I mentioned before REITs, where you can invest in real estate through the stock market. Um, And then those private companies or those uh, public companies, I guess, will take that money and they'll go do things with it, like make uh, malls or build, build 
just different things, right? Or hold land and then resell it or run farms. There's tons of stuff out there that are, you know, you know, and in general, like if you want to mitigate your risk, you wouldn't use REITs. You would go directly to these other options so that they're not tied to the stock market if you want to diversify uh, your portfolio, so to speak, right? Then there's these things called private capital. You can invest in business businesses or secured loans where there's like property or something that's secured. So they're using this money to accomplish something that should make them more money. So they're willing to pay you maybe uh, 10% uh, back for the money that you give them or 8%, right? And it's not the stock market. It's different. It's tied to a business. There's venture capital which is a, a, a different way of doing that sort of thing. There's you know people that buy timber. There's buyouts, I guess, buying out companies, things like that. There's private equity. All right, there's hedge funds. Uh, and that's just so you know, I looked into it a little bit, something I will never touch or do. Uh, there's gold and silver. And once again, something I will never buy or do, okay? Because I'm looking at it as I have a long horizon before my retirement. And I want simple, understandable things that I can invest in uh, that on average over time return a, a good annualized return. And uh, you know, gold and silver, for instance, don't do that, in my opinion. Um, but you can have a different opinion. So that's why I'm sharing my opinion with you. Uh, let's talk more about the investments I will not touch. So speculations. The value only increases based on perception of future buyers, right? Will there be more buyers? Do people perceive this as worth more? Gold and silver kind of fall under that umbrella. Um, and you've got things like uh, Bitcoin out there that people that fall under that category. You've got antiques, like I'm going to buy this really old bookshelf. Uh, you've got collectibles like Pokemon cards or famous uh, sports memorabilia. You've got all that sort of stuff. That is a speculation. Yes, it could increase, uh, but it is a speculation. There's, It's not tied at all like the stock market is to to profits and earnings of the business. Like I said, there's, there's multiple parts, but there is some like fact that you own part of a business. And that that business has a performance that you can track and you can see how that oftentimes changes how much the stock is worth, right? There's there's some reality there, not just perception. And then, of course, you've got anything labeled gambling or, in my opinion, picking an individual stock, which is akin to gambling that I won't touch. And then I'm not sure what these are classified as, but the more I looked into day trading, private loans, unsecured loans... And most annuities, I was like, not good. And annuities is a touchy subject for a lot of people, but it's it's insurance. It's not an investment. So that's why we're not talking about it right here. Some people want some insurance, uh, you know, and they're willing to give away some of their money that they could give to potentially their heirs. Um because they want that security of knowing that their money won't run out, even if they live to 105, you know? So there are some annuities out there, I guess, that can give you some of that assurance. But, uh, you know, not something that I am interested in right now, for sure. Now, if you have listened to the show for a while, you understand in every episode, I take a moment just to say, you and your spouse need to go to a support group 
and get this stuff figured out because nothing's going to crush your your business, your relationship, your future potential to retire, uh, your happiness, then money problems. Okay, it's it's one of the number one reasons people get divorced. Number one reasons people are unhappy and have anxiety. You know, it's it's a big deal. And so I've created you know money for average Joes to help educate, but I've also created some resources. So at slash money dash resources, or if you just go to the website and look at the menu, you can see it there. You'll see some of my top resources, you know, things we've covered in past episodes, but also some new great things too, as I find them, you know, if you have specific challenges or issues, I mentioned some of those experts that you can go talk to, um, slash bonus also available on there. You can get a one hour clarity call with me and what you can get from that, from coaching, not from, you know, I'm not a fiduciary or anything. I'm not uh, giving investment advice. I'm just a coach in general. We'll walk through the roadmaps that are set forth by really smart experts, you know, the Dave Ramsey's, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, their roadmap. We'll take your one-page money plan and we'll start putting goals on there. Uh, we'll see if we missed anything on that roadmap that you need to care about, right? Like having an emergency plan or fund, right? Um, those are something that's very common for the people I meet with that they're missing, uh, and we'll, you know, maybe some of those things you'll put on your plan that you might be a little reluctant to do because, you know, that, you know, it's hard to save up money for something that's not as fun as that Hawaiian trip that I mentioned before or something else. Right. But, uh, you're, you're opening yourself up to some major, uh, issues if you lose your job or something happens. Right. And so you just want to have some, some reality there, but you can also do some really fun things. Like you can put on there that you want to take that Hawaiian trip and you can save for it. Right. You can put on there, you know, how much you're going to invest monthly so that you can have a hope or of a, a future of retiring. Right. So those are all great things. And I just want to mention in general, I am not affiliated with Dave Ramsey or the church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, meaning they haven't said go forth and share my message. Right. Uh, I don't have that, but I can't stress enough how important it is to get into one of those groups, whether it's the free one or paid one like Dave Ramsey puts on. And uh, it's really important. So please think about it. Please do it and then use my resources to supplement that. So let's now talk about that retirement goal. How much do you need at retirement? Nobody can tell you, right? <laughs> There's never going to be enough, I'm sure, right? But you can realistically say, you know, having less than X amount is going to guarantee that I'm going to live in poverty, right? Or that I can only make it so many years in retirement till all my money runs out, right? So I love David Stein because he has created for us a awesome Excel calculator. It's called Retirement Planning Calculator slash Spreadsheet. And it will do that very thing for you. You can type in what annual return you expect. You can type in your weekly savings, not my favorite way to do it. But, uh, you know, you can obviously take that weekly savings and figure out what that would be monthly on average for you. Not very hard. And then it will show you how many years until you run out of your money completely. And I believe in the spreadsheet, it's using that example of if I save up this nest egg and I only spend 4% of that nest egg of that total dollar amount that I've saved up while it's still out there mostly earning you know, interest and, and, uh, you know, in investments, whether it's bonds, stocks, whatever, still making us money. It's still getting that 6% annual return, even though I keep pulling money out yearly to live off of. And my example that I included here on the website and 
whatnot. I just did living off of 40,000 a year. Now, obviously in 30 years, that's not going to be a ton of money, but you got to remember by then I should own my own home, own all my own cars. I should have an emergency fund as well. And I should have all these investments and I might still be working or getting money from my businesses that I've built up. Right. And I should have kids too. I should have, maybe the government gives me a check a month. Maybe they don't. Uh, my wife, who's a teacher, might be getting some money from her Percy is what it's called. So it's kind of like a 401k, but for government employees. So there's there's multiple sources of income. I'm just talking about like what I did for my Roth IRA and some other investments that I did that were the passive stuff, right? And so for my wife and I, we basically figured out if we can't put away $1,000 a month and we can't do that for 30 years towards these investments, earning an annualized return of 6%, we're not going to hit a million dollars or more. It's just not going to happen for us, okay? And so we got to get to that point. Now, a lot of people talk about the percent of their income and a savings rate of like 10 or 15% and saying like, if I can get that out of, you know, I take my gross income and I cut out 10 or 15% and I put it straight into investments, you know, that's that means I'll have a decent retirement. But when you look at this calculator, you start to realize like, look, you could be poor and you're never going to get to that million or 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 million and a half or two or three, whatever you want it to be, right? You're going to have to either have a, a higher percentage of savings or you're going to have to increase your income or you have to do both. And that's why I love sitting down with people and doing that clarity call because you can hit it from both ends. You can spend less, you can pay off certain debts and then have more money to put towards your investments. You can, you know, and we're not even talking about putting away money for our kids to go to college. That's a whole different conversation that you can use the same skills you learned that I'm talking about here to help with that. Um, there's some, you know, definitely some great topics and, and people out there and sources to be able to look up those type of plans that you can invest in. And there's some major pitfalls too to watch out for. But like I said, we don't have time to talk about all that. Um, for me, we can make it if we get about that million dollars over 40 years or 35 years of investing a thousand dollars a month, then we're going to be closer to the uh, we can make it for 40. Four years, I think that's what that cutoff says. If we're only spending that four percent of our income, which is about forty thousand a year, so if we retire at sixty-five or seventy-ish, is what we're probably thinking, sixty-five, seventy, somewhere in there, then we can make it another forty-three years off of our money if we have that and we limit our spending. Now, of course, if the stock market takes a big hit or bonds or something happens, like you might want to take less that year, or you know you can adjust and that's the only way you can guarantee that you're going to make it quite a few years or at least put your best foot forward. Right. Uh, that 4% rule is, has been refuted many different times. It's not the perfect rule, but you got to have kind of a rule of thumb to live by. Right. Um, and so he also provides and by he David Stein provides some other stuff like mind the gap spreadsheets. Uh, can you become a millionaire saving $35 a week. Uh, am I saving enough for retirement? He's got some really great episodes. I've looked in general and also the fire movement is not completely united, right? So some of them are saying in the movement like, hey, once you have saved up and invested 10 times your annual income, that's when you're going to be pretty secure for your retirement and you can, you know, 
retire now, but let's be honest, most of them still work. A lot of them are podcasters are doing other things now too. They're just saying they have financial freedom in that scenario. Like I said, they don't always agree on on what scenario is best there, but uh, that's their general rule of thumb. I think that's not enough money if you're talking about retirement. That might be enough to make you feel good in general, but it's not enough money. Bankrate actually did a study, and in the study, they asked, what type of regret or did you even have a regret about not saving enough for retirement, right? Or not having enough, not just savings, but not having enough. And basically only 20% of the people surveyed said, I have no regrets. I'm good. And then there's various reasons. Didn't save enough money, took on too credit, much credit card debt, whatever, right? There's reasons and they're not worth covering each one. So basically, if you don't want to be the 80% or the majority of people that are unhappy, you have to have a goal and you have to work towards it. Now, I found this really cool freedom calculator. And I have to be honest, I don't know exactly how it works. I get the general concept. The concept is, you know, you put money in for retirement, you, d- you define what your expected investment annualized return is, whether it's 6 or 7%, your expected inflation rate, 2.5 or 3, whatever. And then you put in a random number, whether it's $100 or $10 in this case. And you do have to put how much money you currently have in investments. So for this example, I just put in $50,000, 7% annualized return rate, 2.5% inflation rate, and $10. And then out pops on this, this uh, freedom calculator put on by financialfreedombook.com. It says stuff like this. $10 would buy you an extra day 0.7. So almost two days of freedom. So price for an extra day in general is $5.88. Price for an extra year, $2,195.12. So what's this general idea, right? It's the the fire movement idea. It's this idea that if you invest now, you invest uh, a higher amount or even a, a small amount, and you invest for a long period of time. Um, and if you start to understand what your money today equals in freedom tomorrow, then you might start changing your behavior so that you can have that freedom tomorrow. Because we like to be rewarded for doing good. And we like to get that pat on the back and get that high five and that warm feeling of making a good decision now. And when you're investing and you're looking at your future and your stock market's down, you're not going to get those warm and fuzzy feelings, right? Nobody's going to give that to you. I might give you a high five or an our clarity call, say, at a boy that nobody else has given you because I understand how hard it is to change your behavior. But with this calculator, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool to know, like, if I can just get an extra $2,200 in the bank, well, from the bank to my investments, and if I expect those returns, I can have a whole extra year of freedom. Like, instead of retiring at 70, I could retire at 69, right? And if I do that multiple times, maybe I can retire at 65, Or if I have a crazy amount of money, like putting away $2,000 a month towards my investments now, 
I could retire at maybe something reasonable like 45 or 50 or 55, right? So I'm not saying you need to do that. I'm not saying I'm going to do that. Even if I had that, I'd probably put more into businesses until I had a, a shorter window till retirement and then I might pull back a little bit. But you got people like Warren Buffett just going full force, investing, 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 and they're closer to uh, you know the end than anybody else that I know, right? So only you can decide what you need to do for retirement. Um, you know, five hundred thousand dollars might be like the bare minimum I could see for somebody living in the United States to to need to have at retirement age, right? Um, but most people are shooting for a million or two million because they just want to be able to have the ability to have no regrets, like in that study. And there's a there's a spot called Other. What if you wanted to be able to fund your grandkids' college a little bit, or send them on a mission for your church, or to, I've seen some people be crazy and take them all on a cruise, right? Like I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying if you wanted to have the freedom or options to do that or retire early, it's possible, but it does require sacrifice. And I hope you check out that calculator and feel like myself, like saying, wow, this actually puts into words what I wish I could be tangibly paid right now for putting money into investments. And then in investment part two, I'm going to cover some more great resources, options, and tools for you. And we're going to talk about quite a bit more to make this a reality for you and uh, hopefully take this generalized knowledge and apply it a bit more into modern portfolio theory, how people are diversifying, why that's not always the best situation or why it's okay. And, you know, what hopefully you can expect for retirement or, you know, be armed to put your money in places that are relatively safe or have low risk, but can get some reward so that you can have a future too. Well, that was the longest episode I've ever done for Money for Average Joes. And I don't know if you could sense my trepidation and sharing investment principles and ideas because I don't share advice. I just do general education purposes and coaching because that's all I am. I'm not a fiduciary, but there's a lot of opinions and I had to read a lot of books. I had to read a lot of articles. I had to, you know, we're going to cover in the next section, uh, check out portfolios and how have they done in general. Historically, I had to educate myself a lot because I had this idea of like, if I didn't invest, uh, I would be okay because I'm learning how to invest in what works, right? So I, I have this, you know, paralysis by analysis of, okay, don't pull the right, don't pull the wrong trigger. Don't invest because it'll be better if I invest properly, right? Like, so I'm hoping by the end of this, you can feel empowered so you can start investing and you can say, okay, like even if my plan is only 80% awesome, uh, that's way better than most people. <laughs> most people aren't putting enough money in. Most people aren't investing or if they are doing it, they're doing it completely wrong by like picking individual stocks because they think that's fun. Uh, and they're not trying to ride the overall stock market or they have that misconception of I'm going to be wealthy because I am investing. And most of the wealthiest people in the world aren't putting all their money in the stock market, for instance, right? That's not their sole reason. And they're not getting crazy returns on their investments either because they're putting it in relatively safe places. 
uh, at least from some studies that are out there, right? And so I hope that you like this nine principles course with three bonus episodes. I hope that you enjoy getting this education. You take the time to share it with somebody else so that this can grow. And I hope you appreciate an average Joe. I'm, I feel like I'm at your level because I'm still barely starting to invest. Uh, you know, I still have to have an emergency fund and uh, I still am scared when a pandemic hits or the economy takes a hit, right? Uh, but I'm with you here and I'm hoping that you'll invest now, you'll invest more and more and you'll invest for a long period of time and you'll um, have two or three go-to places for your passive investments and one or two or three for your active investments that will help you, whether it's investing in yourself or you know, doing those side hustles or whatnot. Uh, this is Jason Weaver with Money for Average Joes. Please check out moneyforaveragejoes.com and go get some of the best resources and share that with your friends and have a good day and I will see you next time.